When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Draft Deeper on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Uh, still a little weird saying that, but we are back. Second episode on the brand new feed, our new permanent home on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Again, if you're coming over from the Draft Deeper feed, welcome, welcome. Thank you for supporting the Draft Deeper podcast over these years that we've been doing it. And again, we are incredibly excited to be in our new home for this season and the foreseeable future. So, we have all combined our shows onto the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. We're getting you ready. Hopefully on a Monday morning, you're listening to this. Hopefully this will be your first podcast of the day. So thank you so much for listening, if that is the case. And if not, we're happy you're hanging out with us anyway. So please make sure that you are subscribed to the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Make sure you're rating our episodes. Make sure you're leaving us some awesome reviews. We love to see those reviews coming as well. We may make a future segment about some of the reviews we get on the podcast feed that are related to draft deeper who knows but definitely make sure you subscribe rate review all that fun stuff but here with me today as always is my producer kevin black my league co-host maxwell baumbach and steven gillespie as always it's draft deeper so we know that he's here so we're continuing our preview series for the 2023 nba draft we're going through our preseason groups of players. We've covered top freshmen. We've covered top returning players. We've done some sleepers, some under-the-radar guys. Now we're talking about essentially all of the prospects who are not going to be in a college program this year. So we can split this show across two, really. So tonight we're going to be talking about the Overtime Elite program and what Steven and I got to see in person and our thoughts about some of those prospects. I'm excited to get Maxwell's thoughts about some of those guys. And then we'll also go over the G League Ignite team, the 2023 prospects who are going to be available for the draft. Yes, that means we finally get to talk about one of the big two tonight. We get to talk Let's about go. Scoot Henderson. And then next week we will have our international preview. So obviously that will be the, the Victor Wembanyama blowout podcast. And then wh- whoever else follows after that, come on. We, we know everybody wants to hear us talk about Victor because we haven't done that yet. And we haven't talked about Scoot. So I'm excited to dive into both of these guys over the next two weeks. Maxwell, how are you doing tonight? You ready to kick this off? I'm doing good. I'm fired up. I watched a lot of OTE this week, and it just like really got me in the mood for this podcast. I'm a lot more optimistic heading into this than I expected to be after the early OTE games, but we'll, we'll, we'll save it. We'll get into it later. I'm glad you used the word optimistic, though, because after being there in person, that's the word that I was able to use with some of these guys as well, was optimistic. Steven, I'm assuming getting back from the pro day, you and Corey were also down in Atlanta. It's, it's unfortunate we didn't get the cross pass, but I had to, uh, I had to close on a house and I had to make sure that my fiance and I had a place for us to live. So that, that's all, that's a little important, but yeah, never, nevertheless, how, how are you doing, Steven? Man, I'm doing awesome. It's, I'm glad that I went and I got to meet Corey and we'll talk about everything that we did there. Um, but I'm glad to be home because a lot of people might think that when you go to these things that, it's laid back and it's like low tempo, but I was probably busier 
in Atlanta with Corey watching basketball than I would be at home with a wife and four kids, if that makes sense. Right. So it's, um, I'm glad to be home, but it was a heck of an experience and I can't wait to kind of go back and forth with Maxwell, man, like you, you getting to see it from where you did and getting to like interact and like share your thoughts and ask questions and stuff like that. Combining all these different perspectives that we all got to see, man, it's going to make for a great show. And then obviously talking about these basketball players is, is kind of a big deal too. So if anyone didn't read my morning dunk column that I published last Monday, I did come out with a 5,100 word feature piece on everything I saw with the overtime elite program, my in-person impressions, what I saw in those preseason games. So I will share some of my thoughts throughout this podcast, but listen, Steven got back. I believe him and Corey are working on a written piece. that's going to come out on those ceilings later this week. Corey did get to give some of his thoughts on Friday's episode of the no ceilings NBA podcast with both of the Tyler's. So make sure you listen to that episode to get his thoughts, but I'm more excited at least for this portion of the podcast to hear from Steven as well as Maxwell. I've written out a lot of my thoughts. None of that's really going to change, but Steven, I'm curious what you thought about the program, about the facilities, about being at the pro day in general, because what you just outlined, the amount of work that you and Corey did, I don't think people realize what goes into actually attending a pro day versus just being there for a few games. It's, it's not just watching some scrimmages. It's about being there for the workout portion. It's about talking to every single person that's there. Cause you know, the building's going to be filled with scouts, filled with executives, filled with other media personnel. It's getting to ask questions and, and listening to prospect interviews. Like, it is quite literally an entire day when you're there for one of those events. And I can imagine that you and him were exhausted after it, but the kind of access you get at a pro day, mm-hmm. in my opinion, and listen, I, I, I don't regret going down there for the games that I saw. Cause I think me getting a look at these guys actually playing in meaningful games on the court was important for my evaluation and for me to come away a little bit more optimistic, but Steven, the access that you and Corey had, it, it it really is second to none to, to what we do. You cannot do what we do at the level we're trying to do it without being there in person, without having sources, without talking to people, gaining intel, and just building relationships with the people who are making this happen, including the overtime elite personnel and the player. So give us all of your thoughts, all of your impressions about actually being in Atlanta. How was the trip, brother? Well, you know, I, I live about five hours south and, you know, the, the trip, I, I made it up there, you know, I kind of iron butted it, you know, just try to gun up there as as quick as I could. And I actually got there early and the contact that we all have from no ceilings uh, at the uh, overtime elite, um, I just let him know like, hey, man, I made it safely. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys. And he was like, well, hey, we're having some practices tonight. Why don't you come on over? So I'll go over to the practice, you know, drive up to the facility. It's beautiful on the outside. And, uh, you know, give them my name, where I'm coming from. I get all, you know, the proper security passes and things like that. I meet up with our contact and he's given, giving me a tour of the facilities and I'm walking around and I see people. I'm like, Hey, who, who all's here tonight? And he was just like, Oh, this is just overtime family. So I was like, so I'm the only one here that's like external. He goes, yeah. I was like, oh, okay, cool. So that's just, it's phenomenal. Just like how much of an open door policy that once you have those connections at overtime, time elite how comfortable they are like just letting you get a look at everything and I think that sometimes places can get this wrong by protecting quote-unquote protecting their assets and kind of like shielding people away but having an open door policy is just like oh cool you know like there we have nothing to hide which 
when you're evaluating these guys, that's huge because you always kind of ask like, well, what else is going on? So our contact there was really gracious, gave me a tour. You know, they have a beautiful facility. They have two practice courts and then they have their main court in which they host the games. You know, they have a, a, a cuisine area. They have film room. They have area for these players to study, a beautiful weight room. And then obviously the, the courts are second to none. You know, they have all the, the aesthetics for, you know, their banners and their little um, promotionals and things like that. It's just beautiful. And watching these guys practice, and it's just, you know, like I said, it's just me. They got like their social media team over there. They have coaches and whatnot. Um, just watching these guys, they're intense, man. And like mm-hmm. the coaches are so involved in everything. You know, Coach Fanning, who we, we know has experience coaching over at Tel Aviv. Uh, Coach Ryan Gomes, who's quickly becoming like a no ceilings favorite. We all love <laughs> Coach Gomes. If you've ever got to interact or talk with this man, he's just phenomenal. The work that he does with the Cold Hearts is, is second to none. But how involved these coaches are, it's fun to watch. And talking to our contact, I started asking questions, you know. It's kind of on the on the interview side, but it's more just kind of my curiosity coming through. And some of the big takeaways that he wanted me to understand for their vision is that their priority is to become a popular league. You know, they want to use their content to generate viewers. They had like 20 or 200,000 viewers in two games very recently. I think that you were a part of that viewing, uh, Nathan. And they want mm-hmm. to leverage what they're doing to gain sponsorships and TV marketing. And they, they're not able to give details yet, but it seems like they're kind of working towards like getting like a big like TV sponsorship. You know, they want to recruit international players. They said that they love to have them. And they want... They want the overtime elite to be a, a, a pathway to success, whether you want to go NBA, whether you want to go G League, whether you want to go international, you want to go to college, like NIL is a big game changer for them. So that was big takeaways. And I asked them like why they wanted to be headquartered in Atlanta, because obviously there's some some television networks out that way. And I was like, oh, that seems kind of strategic. And they're like, actually, it's just more about the culture. Like how much of that is like 100 percent honesty? I'll never know. But You know, it wasn't like a top priority for them, according to them. And then I asked them about like their coaching selections, like how they got to the the coaches that they wanted. And mainly that just has to do with, you know, GM, uh, Mr. Wilkins, and then Coach Ollie having connections, you know, obviously having NBA experience and being able to talk to those coaches. That was huge. And it was just so much fun, man. And then you get to the pro day and then you're like rubbing elbows with executives and coaches and media members and stuff like that. What I watch, Nathan, I think it's beneficial in a way, but it's different from what you watch because mm-hmm. everything is scripted, right? So we're getting to see kind of pros and cons, but it's all very scripted. You're watching like actual gameplay. So you get like the most amount of variance in what you see, but sure, all in all, it was a beautiful trip, man. And I'm just, I'm grateful for the folks over at OTE. No, I, I am as well. And our, our contact, shout out to, to Joseph. He is he is one hell of a guy. That that whole program was incredibly hospitable when I was there. They were also hospitable from what it sounds like when Steven and Corey were there. So we can't thank Overtime Elite enough for really making us feel like we were at home yeah. with the program. And that that matters a lot. That connection that you talked about, Steven, the, the open door policy, the allowing them to bring us in and they don't have anything to hide. They want us to understand the process and the work that's going into not only building this program, but making these players, these prospects better. That's also incredibly important for the public to understand because the games that they're playing 
a lot of these guys who are looking after the NBA next year, they're going up against high school talent, right? And sometimes yeah. it's not easy to evaluate high schoolers versus high schools when we're talking about you're not only making a jump to the college level, you're trying to make a jump to the pro level. That's essentially mm-hmm. like two to three to four leaps in one when you're going to the NBA, right? It's not like the, the overseas leagues, a lot of them are incredibly competitive, which we know, we know of a few, but the NBA is the the top professional basketball league in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the G League. It's not the, the ACB League. It's not the Euro League. It's the NBA. It's a completely different animal. So we want to know when we're watching these guys, what does their training look like? What does their regimen look like? How are they off the court? Are they committed? Are they all bought in to, to doing what Overtime Elite offers them, which is 24-7 professional access between the yeah. facilities, between the training, between the, the film room. You mentioned the film room, Stephen. I was talking with Joseph. I'm like, so not a lot of high school programs are always doing like one-on-one film sessions with players, right? Mm-hmm. Like they'll have time in the film room to where they're all watching something as a team and they're all talking it out, much like professional teams do. But NBA teams also have people working with players, like, like one-on-one. And that's a level of coaching a program isn't always going to be able to offer at the high school level. Overtime Elite has people that are working with these kids one-on-one in the classroom, in the film room. We'll talk about personal training. That's a leg up that is incredibly hard to compete with unless you're one of the top prep programs in the country, like an IMG, something along those lines. So that's really important for me to hear about. And on top of that too, is like not only do they have like those facilities, but the coaches they have have professional experience. You're exactly. talking about like 15, 16 year old players getting coached by Ryan Gomes, getting coached by coach Fanning, you know, so you're getting like professional domestically professional experience, you know, NBA, but also international coaching experience too. You're getting a bunch of different voices. Coach Ollie is, you know, he's not the coach of one team, but he's like the head of coaching and player yep. development. So he's got a hand in all of that too. And I want also just want to add one more thing real quick, Nathan, is that not only do you have the opportunity to watch these players, but you have a level of accessibility that you're not getting essentially anywhere else. Like after the pro day was over, you know, uh, Mr. Wilkins, who's the GM, like came in and like thanked everybody. And then the players came out and shook everyone's hand, like everyone's hand, scouts and everything included. And then we got an opportunity to interview these players too. And you know, in a, in a more intimate setting. So not only are, do they not have anything to hide, but they're encouraging like that, that accessibility with the players too, because they're a young league, Nathan. And, and a lot of the criticisms that we have, we have to also understand that it's an upstart league. They're only in their yep. second year, just like, you know, Hey, over at no ceilings, we are too. It's kind of like a family thing that we have going on with, with them. But I will say that the the level of competition, I think, gets a little bit too much knock because we we saw Jan Montero come over and was like the big fish in the pond, but he actually played against the Thompson Twins, who are now, you know, looked at to be like lottery level talent, right? So there is, you know, high level talent, especially like the younger guys, mm-hmm. but it, it still has work to do, but they're growing. And, and what we're seeing in year two compared to year one leaps and bounds have been better in, in terms of improvement. And and they're trying to build a prospect base, right? They're they're not yes. they're not just going after guys who are immediately eligible for the next draft. They're going after players, you know, like Sar, um, mm-hmm. like Nas Cunningham, like Bryson Tiller. Like they're trying to build a base to where 
we're going to find out how good they are at actually developing these guys and what they look like from the time they get into the program to when they're ready to leave the program, potentially pursue another opportunity, whether that's to go straight to the NBA, that's where they spend that year, whether they move on to a G League Ignite, whether they go to another type of pro team overseas. We're going to find out how ready some of these guys can be, because I know we're we're not talking about the guys outside of 2023 tonight, but Mm -hmm. it it was my sentiment. I know it was Corey's sentiment. And Steven, I'd be curious to know if it was your sentiment as well. Like Bryson Tiller, listen, I I got to watch Cam Boozer up close, who Cam Boozer's likely right now, everyone talks about him as being the best high school prospect in the country, the favorite to be the number one overall pick in the 2026 NBA draft. I'll tell you right now, I think I think Bryson Tiller could challenge him for that top spot if his development keeps progressing the way that I think that it will. So that's really going to be a test. And in my opinion, I'm going to watch his development very carefully to see where does he end up on that spectrum? Can he actually challenge for that number one overall spot? Because to me, what I see him at right now is a 15 year old. The talent, in my opinion, warrants it. So if he lives up to that potential, and he develops properly in this program, we'll, we'll, we'll find out how good they are at developing talent. And that's, that's kind of where we can leave the, the conversation around the program itself for now. It was great to give those thoughts, but people mm-hmm. listen to this podcast. They want to hear us talk about the players, guys. They yeah. want to know what we think about Amen and, and Asar Thompson. And I actually want to start with Maxwell, with Amen Thompson, because... Oh boy. okay. I got to see him up close. I wrote a ton of words about what I saw in the two games. And there were a number of things that blew me away with his game. Obviously, the, the sticking points that we can talk about with his valuation, the jump shooting, which I'm sure you're going to get into, things like that. There, there's still sticking points and nothing that I saw in person is going to change my opinion on those things. But getting the up close and in-person picture of what his athleticism actually looks like, what his speed actually looks like, how quick some of those decisions he's making on the court, what those actually look like. There were times where it absolutely blew me away. And Maxwell, I'm curious if you're starting to get more of that same feeling, even from just watching the tape that you did this past week. Yeah. And I think where it really popped for me and I touched on it and I'm touching on it in my comments coming out Tuesday. um, It really shows up on defense. Like, yep because offensively like you we see the highlights all the time right like you can't do anything on twitter without just stumbling across like a wild drive to the basket and then like crazy pass or like a, a just massive dunk in traffic like, we see this stuff all the time but on defense when he guards on the ball guys just can't get anywhere like, yeah you he's he's unshakable he's so quick and he just moves at, like few other guys i've ever seen in terms of just how light on his feet he is and how sudden he is given his size. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really, really enamored with what he can do athletically. Um, I think his creativity is really accentuated by that too. Um, like some of the decisions he's able to make at the last second uh, and just the angles he finds or passes the types of passes that he throws are really sharp and if any any player is making them it would be really impressive but the fact that he can get into the paint on offense with such consistency makes that so much more valuable than if it was just an average athlete that had that same timing and and, you know decision making ability he 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 blew me away and i wrote about this specifically in my column and in, in the second game that i saw he had 
a ridiculously fast spin move going to his left, and then he whipped a pass around his back. Yes, his right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, immediately off of that spin, and it was a perfect bounce dime mm-hmm. to the man down low. And I'm just like, holy shit! Like, for, there was, for, first yeah. of all, he did it that quick. Second of all, how was he able to see that that mm-hmm. quick? Like you. You don't do some of the things that he can do on the court on both ends, like you're talking about, Maxwell, without having a very high basketball IQ yeah. and wanting yeah. to get better at these things. That that's what really impressed me. And I I don't think I don't think when I evaluated him previously last year, I don't think I understood that about his game, like just how smart he is. And that blew me away. Yeah. And it, like the ability to just deliver those type of passes on a string to mm-hmm. like I there are times where he gets like a little over ambition in certain ways, but I don't think it's really with the passing too often. Like, I think it's other stuff uh, where I'm like, Ooh, I wish he'd reel that in a little bit. It's never the passing. Like I feel like his deliveries of passes are just spot on. Um, and he's almost like too creative for like the guys that he's playing with at times too. Like there was a turnover in one of his games where he like threw like one of the best fake passes into another pass I'd ever seen where like he moved just in one direction. And then all of a sudden the ball was like moving the other direction and his teammate wasn't ready for it. And I'm like, Oh, that was just brilliant. Yeah, like, that you was know, so great. You know how, like we talk about some of the best point guards in the game are able to shift defenses with their eyes and where yeah, they're looking yeah, yeah, on yeah. the court. This guy does it with how he moves his body because mm-hmm. people are like, how is he moving one way, but then able to contort, the rest of his upper body this other direction and then just fire this pass in this ridiculously narrow window like how is he able to do these things and it's really funny because one of the interviews we did with him we asked him specifically like who does he like to study on film who are the favorite guys that he likes to watch and he said lebron james and john moran and i'm like damn that really makes a lot of sense yeah when, yeah, when yeah. you look at the passing i followed up i'm like is that is that what gives you so much confidence in your creativity when it comes to passing the basketball, because these are two of the guys you study. They're two of the most creative passes we've ever seen in basketball, especially when it comes to Ja, using how he uses his athleticism, how he uses his ability to, to change gears and manipulate angles and find different ways to fit these balls in these narrow angles. And he's like, I haven't really thought about it in, in that way, but I guess when you look at how much film that I watch in general and who I'm watching, yeah, I subconsciously have picked up on a lot of those same traits. And it it mm-hmm. really does pop on the film, man. Like there, there, there are not enough good things I can say about passing. There are just so few guys that A, can pass like that, but like paired with that level of athleticism. And then it's not even just like the North-South stuff. And we'll talk about this with Scoot to a degree, even though it's a little bit different with Scoot. Sure. I think with Scoot, like, but I'm, I'm going to save that point for Scoot. But with, with men, uh, it's rare to see guys that are that, like, bursty that are also kind of herky-jerky in terms of, like, how they can move to the basket. And it's just really complicated for defenders, like, because there's just not many guys that move like that. Uh, would you mind if I get into some of my concerns with the men? Oh, a- abs- absolutely. Okay. Get into the concerns, because then then I'm just going to go to Steven, and it's going to be a field day with everything he saw from the pro day. So yeah, 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 yeah. So with the men... And part of the reason, like I like I said, coming to this, I'm optimistic, and we're going to get some of the other overtime guys later. I think a lot of these guys took huge strides from where they were last year. With the men, there was no more visible player flaw 
for the OTE program coming into this season than a men's poor shooting. Mm -hmm. It was the number one thing. He's your top prospect and everybody knows he can't shoot. And that thing still is like a Josh Minot. It needs to be burned to the ground situation. Um, I like that he's taking them, but and um, if you're watching the video version of this, you're going to see what I'm about to do, but like he will go up and then his entire arm, both of his arms move completely to the right right at the top of his motion. And then he releases it. And like, it's, we already see guys that have a hard time shooting consistently when they shoot across their body, but to make that dramatic of a motion at the top of your release, is just, I, I have a hard time with the fact that he's still not hitting these shots. He's still missing free throws, like really inconsistent with the free throws. And like everybody knew coming to this year that this is what he needed to work on. And this is what it's looking like. Like that to me is a huge problem. Also, he's turning 20 during this season. So while he's doing all these really impressive things, he's doing them against high schoolers. And I think people should ask themselves, like what would Jaden Ivy have looked like playing against high schoolers last year? Because they're in terms of like for their class, they're a month apart. So Ivy's a year older, but in terms of like their age against competition, like when Ivy was draft eligible, he was only a month older than a man for his class. So that's something that we need to keep in mind is that this is a guy who's turning 20 during the season. He's playing against high schoolers. And this is where the jump shot is at right now. In a man's defense, when he has played against other competition, when he's participated yeah, yeah, yeah. in the he's basketball good against tournament, Mega. when he's been overseas mm-hmm. against mega, he did have these games, these, these performances, especially on the defensive end where he's just piling up all these, the defense is all these blocks. He still gets in the lane whenever he wants. He's still throwing down these, these vicious dunks. Like I think he actually has played well up in competition, but I agree with you. The shooting is a glaring weakness. It's going to remain a glaring weakness to his credit. I think the base of his shot has gotten better. I think his lower body's gotten a lot better on his shot. But until he fixes where he releases the ball, like you so eloquently outlined on the video version of this podcast, until he fixes that, he's going to keep missing shots to the right. And it's just, it's just going to keep happening and happening and happening. It's, it's not just like you, the, one of the videos I took that I was able to share on social media, you saw it perfectly to where it clanked mm-hmm. off the right side of the rim. But even in game, when he's taking some of these pull-up transition threes, He's bricking them off the backboard to the right and not even clanking it off the back of the rim. And those are the misses that really concern me. It's, it's one thing. And I've shared this before with the draft deeper audience about we can evaluate makes based on how soft of a make they are. It's one thing to be missing shots and they're just like clanking off the front of the rim or they're clanking off the top when you're missing the rim altogether. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not just one of those, like, Kobe Bryant would throw up a, a chuck shot every now and then that just went off the backboard. Like it's not one of that. Like this is a repeated thing that I've seen happen multiple times when you have these egregiously bad misses. That's something that needs to continue to be worked on. Now I'm not at a point where I'm writing off the jump shot for him yet, but I'm at the point where, where he's at with his base and where he's at with some of the upper body mechanics. And, and Steven, I'm curious to get some of your thoughts about this as well. Cause you watched him work out. I'm not confident he's ever going to be a pull-up threat, which to me, I can live with that. The one shot I would love for him to develop is the corner three point shot. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I would outline that is because 
No, he's not nearly as interesting of a player if he's in some sort of off-ball role. We want the ball to be in his hands. But let's be perfectly honest. Is he going to be the 100% of the time primary creator for an NBA team when he's on the court? Without the jump shot, I can't imagine that's going to be the case. And if he's operating off the ball, he needs to be able to do something meaningful off the ball, whether that's backdoor cutting like Jalen Green that, that I've talked about multiple times, taking advantage of the defense, using your speed to leverage those angles to get to the basket, whether it's being able to just catch and fire and, and, and rise and fire from the corner at a somewhat efficient rate to at least stretch defenses and bring them out to him so that he can use his athleticism to get behind or around those hard closeouts and get downhill to where we know he can do and, and play effectively. He he needs to be able to threaten the defense in some way, shape, or form. That's not just with the ball in his hands at the top of the court. And that's why I would want him to develop that sort of jump shot. The open spot up threes from the wing, the, the pull-up craft and creativity, all that stuff is great. But I just don't know if the comfort level is there for him on those shots. Mechanically, we've broken down why it's probably not going to work for him in the short term. I just want him to keep finding ways to be effective when he's on the court, no matter what the circumstances are. And that's what I want for a man, because the more minutes he's able to be on the court, Steven, able to do the things that he can do, the more effective he's going to be for his team, not just being on the bench because his team needs him to be something in a certain situation. And he can't do that thing. So all of a sudden he's not nearly as effective as he could be. That, that's why I would outline that. Well, you, it's crazy, and I know I've mentioned this before, but his preseason evaluation reminds me a lot of LaMelo Ball, where everyone knew coming in, you know, he had, he had success playing in a, in a weird, weird league before, you know, eventually making his way down to the NBL. But, you know, the, the shooting was always the question mark with him. And he had an ugly shooting form, but his vision and his athleticism and the way that he can play with pace laterally, north to south, like a lot of parallels between, you know, LaMelo Ball and what we're seeing now with the men Thompson. I will say like, Nathan, I don't know what he was like in the game. I didn't watch the game that you attended, but I know like in the practice, like he's working on the shot. He is an effective off ball guy. Like a lot of the actions that they were running on the 4v4v4, and then the team scrimmages, which were actually fairly competitive, like they they were like up in each other's junk, like throughout the game. He was doing a lot of off ball stuff like he would even set screens. And I think, too, like his I height... want to see more of that because I, I yeah. see he, he wasn't doing nearly as many of those things in the live games. And it's probably because they're try, they're still trying to build chemistry with each other. Like yeah. these are these are new teams that they constructed this year. Right. Like these are new drafted constructed teams. So they're trying yeah. to build that chemistry and it's going to take time and effort and practice to really be able to work him off those off ball actions. But I'm glad to hear that that was some of the stuff they were emphasizing in the pro day because that's exactly what I yeah. want from him because he can he can warp defenses at will off the ball which is that's scary to say yeah and I think too like there are some indications that suggest that he could that that he could grow into a a, at least a respectable shooter right like he he's got nice touch around the basket you know his float game is pretty solid I like him a lot in the mid-range like in a lot of the stuff that I saw when he pulled up from the elbow or the short corner I was fairly confident that more times than not that that shot was going to go in but it, he even kind of like suggested at the at the press conference that we held at the end where we were like, you know, what are some of the areas of the game that you're looking to improve? 
And at the end, he just kind of like slyly said, and I feel like I'm becoming a better three-point shooter as well. And like kind of giggled a little bit. Like he knows that that's his weak area. And from what I saw in the practice, and if I'm extrapolating that out forward, I obviously like that's going to be a, a point of emphasis. I don't know how much the shot has improved, but it didn't look it didn't look terrible when I'm watching it. Like obviously like the upper part like needs a little bit of work, but when I'm watching it in practices and in scrimmages and stuff like that, it wasn't missing quite as terrible as like what y'all were outlined, but very small sample. And again, from what I saw, Nathan, that's, that's scripted. You know what I mean? Like sure. there's a lot of things that are happening when I was watching that were supposed to happen the way that they did. And, you know, it's to, it's to, you know, market their guys, but there's a lot of things that he does well. And Maxwell said it perfectly. Like the one area that we know that needs to improve is the three point shot. And I think it's going to slowly do, do so over time. Like again, Dyson Daniels from last year, he was terrible shooting the basketball towards the beginning of the year. And then ultimately he ended up being like sixth on my board. I have him in Thompson seventh right now. And that's with bad shooting. So we'll, we'll see what it looks like moving forward. But I think everything that you could criticize on the jumper is all valid. I would just say that there have been prior examples of these tall playmaking guards that go to the NBA and that just kind of like becomes a respectable area of their game. And they just look like otherworldly whenever they start getting in that like true pro environment. For sure. And like I mentioned, Josh Minot is like, we're saying compared to him, like part of the reason I made that comparison is like Josh Minot did rebuild his jumper and like it looked mm-hmm. way different. Mm-hmm. He hit it at summer league and like he was hitting it. You know, we got videos during the pre-draft process of him just in a gym and it's like, Oh, that looks completely different than it did before. Uh, so like it's, it's doable, especially when you're that level of athlete too. So. And I will say though, my favorite part of his game and I feel like both of the Thompsons and I know we'll transition here in a second to us are, I feel like as the pro day went on, these guys got better, which I think you could kind of criticize that however you want, like they had to ramp up, but it was very fun to see like as the pro day went on, like these guys like kept hitting on another level and that just shows how talented they are. So we outlined our main criticisms with the men, but given the athletic package, the passing profile, the defensive instincts, the willingness and the competitive fire to literally get up in somebody else's nuts and say, I'm going to dominate you on defense. That that's special stuff. We, we, we just, we don't always see that from young players, especially guys who are as talented as him who can kind of coast and in certain areas of the game and do whatever they want in certain regards on the offensive side of the ball. And they can still staff pad. We don't always see that same fire and that competitiveness from some of these young prospects, but a man has it. And I think he's a yeah. good kid. I think he's a very intelligent uh, young man. I think he's going to keep being a hard worker and keep staying true to the game. I'm fascinated by what his upside can be, even despite some of the questions and what we're looking at with his role in the NBA. I, I have him fifth on my board. That's where I have him right now. Preseason. I feel pretty comfortable with that ranking as we stand right now. Where, where do you have him Steven? I have him seventh and I will say another kind of like intangible quality that you're looking for with these guards is Nathan. I don't know if you saw this during the game, but like during the practices and everything that I saw, he holds his teammates accountable. He's a very big communicator. Like he's not, he's not one of these passive guys that just kind of like, Oh, I'm kind of like maybe too good to be here or I'll let coach handle that. 
he's like yelling at one of my favorite guys, something surreal, like a young big man that's on the Reapers as well, yelling, telling him where he needs to be, like getting up in his face and like not being super confrontational, but letting him know, like, if you're going to run this drill with me, you're going to be where you're supposed to be. Maxwell, where do you have a man on your board? Yeah, so he was four for me for a long time. And after this week, I moved him up to three. Okay, so, so he, you're finally on board with the ESPN jumped, media consensus. He jumped Cam Whitmore for me this week. I Whoa. think the more the more I think about it, they're both guys with questionable shots. I do think Cam's jumper is farther along, but I just think with the passing and creativity and defense, I think if neither of them shoot, like if they both are hampered by their biggest flaw, I still like what a man offers everywhere else a little bit more. I would agree with that assessment. So I think between the three of us, our composite average for him would be five, which I think is incredibly fair across the board, right? And yeah. there will be plenty of time for us to, to move him up or, or down or wherever we see fit as we're able to evaluate more of these games. But I, I feel better about him as a prospect. There, there was a point where before the trip, I was thinking about him in like the eight to 10 range. And some people might be looking at me and like, that, that's really low. Why would you have him that low? I think I need to experience the athleticism in person. I need to experience the decision-making in person. I needed to see those things to, to make me worry about some of the flaws less. Now, Asar, on the other hand, I didn't get to see him. He wasn't playing in the games. He, he had an injury that he suffered a few no. weeks ago. They were holding him out from the preseason games just to, just as precautionary, but he did get to participate in the pro day. So Maxwell can give some thoughts potentially about what he would have seen last year. I could give some thoughts about what I would have potentially seen from last year, but I really want to SAR the, this segment to be focused on what Steven saw because he's getting the updated picture on, on him. So what, what were your takeaways about Asar? What, what are some of the differences between him and a men to enlighten the audience? And then what, what do you think we can expect from him from a draft stock perspective? So I have him 17th. I'll just start out with, with, the okay. Ranking. That is a, that is a stark difference from, <laughs> between yeah, him and a, a, man. A, a 10 spot difference. And I know that people have their preferences, right? Like I understand that like, even at no ceilings, we have guys that are more in on a SAR than they are on a men. Right. And I'm still very in on a SAR, but some of the things that I watched and, Nathan, we're talking about seeing these dudes live. I know that was a big to-do on Twitter here recently, but like it, it's important that you get to experience both because you're not privy to a lot of things when you're just watching films compared to when you're going and seeing these guys live. I How I was just singing praises on a man for how he's holding teammates accountable and how much he is like bought in. I'm not saying that Asar isn't bought in. I just feel like he's a little bit more passive. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not always indicative of how, you know, dogged that you can be on the court. Like he's, he's very intense defender too. And he moves very well off the ball, but some of the events during the pro day, I don't know if he was either not fully bought in and same thing with, you know, watching him in practice. I don't know if he was necessarily bought in the entire time. I think it might've been the angle that he's coming back be... from, yeah. from the injury. Right. So it sucks though that you kind of have to weigh that into your evaluation. You would like to see this guy and, and he didn't participate in the four V four before, you know, they did the skills thing. He set out for the four V four V four and came back for the scrimmage, but it felt like he was just kind of like 
being available for people to watch. But then also during the press conference, you know, as much as like it was, it was fun to talk to both of them, but you see a difference in personality between the two where the men's like very charismatic, very engaging, you know, um, you know, he, it seemed like he had his responses kind of like quick, quick and available to give to you. Asar was more, and again, this might have to do with the injury and him not necessarily feeling a hundred percent, but he just, he felt more timid in a way. So I felt like that kind of matched what I saw on the floor. So that kind of weighed in a little bit too. And then the shot, you know, just like a men, Asar isn't a very good shooter as much as we're like, you know, knocking a men for he, like he's the, the better hits. shooter than, than a men though he he i think between the two of them i hate how the robotic shooter. i hate how robotic and rigid the support hand looks on the shooting motion it looks like like it's kind of welded in place and the in the shooting hand is more fluid it whenever he's shooting in motion like you can definitely see but the difference between the two, I feel like I trust the men more in motion than I do a SAR like off the bounce or in motion. Like if it's a spot up, a SAR's probably got the advantage. But I will say he's just as solid as an athlete. The the court vision that he does see, he's a very capable ball mover too. And when we were interviewing him at the end, I asked him what it was like to grow up with the men and seeing him transition to more of the ball handler. He said I kind of had to learn how to play off of him, but I'm very much capable of running an offense too. Like he, he wanted everyone to know that he, he sees the floor well and he makes passes well. It's just that he, there's only one primary ball handler and it just so happened to be a man. Like Asar is very comfortable, like as a weak side, you know, shot creator. He, he seems like he's much more wired to score though. And maybe yeah. like, just, just given some of the tape that I've seen, I, I, I don't think he sees the game in the same way that a man does. No. And I think that's really that, that processing or, or lack thereof to that degree. That's what holds him back for me because he has all the same athletic talent as his brother. I think he's the, he's the slightly better shooter between the two of them. I think he's, he's potentially the better score, better pure score between the two of them, but I don't have nearly the same comfort level with him initiating the offense with the ball in his hands. And I don't think you're getting the same, nearly the same defensive impact between the two of them either likely because of how they see and read the game right like I think yeah. that both of them are comparable on ball defenders but when you talk about the amount of space that a man covers on the defensive side all of the passing lanes he's able to play because he's seeing everything before it even happens um the the rotations that he makes to be able to help from the weak side and block the shots that he does the the there's just something there's just something stark between the two that I know that even if the shot's not falling for a man, I'm getting all these other things. Yep. But Maxwell, I don't feel like I'm getting those with Asar. And I'm assuming you feel the same way from the table. I do. Yeah. Asar is around, like, he's like in the 8 to 10 range. And I've just submitted a board for no ceilings tonight. And I'm still not exactly sure where he <laughs> falls in that range. Um, I think there's a lot to like. Like, he's still a phenomenal athlete. He It's like a death knell for the other team when he's in transition. Phenomenal getting up for lobs. Um, he's a power finisher, but he's got a little bit of finesse to get to those power finishes. I think the big difference, like you said, it's just the processing. And the thing that happens to a star that doesn't happen to a man is it feels like he gets stuck on a more mm-hmm. consistent basis where he'll try to get somewhere on the court and he can't quite get there. And then when he can't get there, he doesn't have like the creative solution that a man has to deal with the predicament that he's found himself in. 
Um, so yeah, I think there's just a little bit less there as far as creativity and just mental quickness in terms of like, I'm going to get here, here, and here, and this is how I'm going to do it. Uh, it's a little more off of two feet. It's a little more controlled and yeah, the, the, the ability to get himself out of trouble is not at the same level as it is for a man. Although I, I will say a, a, a man likes to get better. himself in a little bit of trouble too. But like I, I could recount a number of spin moves that he had in the two games that I saw. Where I'm like, you're, you're, you're spinning directly into like three guys <laughs> and you may be able to do this at the high school level, but I can guarantee you, you're probably not going to be able to pull this off to this degree when you get to the NBA, at, at least not out of the gate. So there, there are some things that I think the both of them, I, that, that's a good way to put it. They, they get themselves in trouble, but I think a man because of, his passing creativity and how he can just whip some of these passes around on, on, on the drop of a hat, how he can bail himself out versus a SAR. I, I do think that's a difference between the two. I agree. Do you guys also feel, and I'm just like workshopping this, like, I don't know what they weigh, but like, is a SAR bigger and stronger? He is. So as well, okay. I was going to say, like, it's like it. yeah. the other thing with a man is like, there would be plays where a man would like just drive right into somebody and he would like lose the ball. And like that yeah. was really concerning to me that it's Asar like Asar hunts contact better than a men, and yeah. that stands out. Yeah, he uh, Asar is eight pounds heavier than a men. Okay, because so. yeah, there were plays where a men would like meet a high schooler's chest and lose his dribble. <laughs> it's like, oh no, <laughs> like I don't, I don't like that at all. Whereas with Asar, um, it does feel like yeah, he goes up stronger. And yeah, like to your point, uh, like we were talking the other day about how with the men, it feels like he'll occasionally take bad angles at the basket to avoid contact. And that kind of stuff doesn't pop up with the SAR. No, I, I agree 100%. And I do think a man is trying to correct that about his game. Like in the first game that I saw, he got to the line nine times. So that to me is like, okay, like if you're getting to the free throw line more than six times in a game, that's going to stand out to me. That's the type of aggression I want to see from somebody who ideally has the ball in his hands all the time. If you're going to be getting downhill, don't try and force bad shots. Get into the body of somebody, initiate the contact, and get to the line. And that's something I always want to see from young scorers. Go ahead, Steven. So, so Nathan, I want, to, I want to frame this question to you because I feel like with the two, an interesting debate is kind of, is kind of cropping up. And I feel like our guys, um, you know, Tyler, Tyler and Corey, kind of framed this very well on Friday. And I would like to get y'all's thoughts as well. As talented and as many people think a man is over a SAR, and, and it varies in, in terms of like how wide you think the gap is. There is an interesting debate that kind of came up to where if a man is not going to be your primary ball handler, Nathan, you touched on this just a second ago, then what else does he do for you? A SAR is kind of custom made to be a connective tissue piece on an NBA team already. So it's kind of one of those things where like the ceiling for a man might be higher, but the pathways to success kind of favor us are. What do you think about that, Nathan? No, I, I think a man absolutely has a pathway to being an incredibly successful off ball player. It's going to take being more comfortable, you know, filling in those gaps as you just stated, right? Like a SAR might be more used to being that type of player right now because he's played off of a man more, more often in his life than, than a man's played off of a SAR. I think a lot of the pieces are there for him though, right? Because of how he reads the game. I, I think as long as he's active in moving without the ball and he doesn't just stand in the corner or stand on the wing and wait for the ball to be swung back around to him, as long as he remains engaged, 
his speed, the way he can work the defense, how easily he can get backdoor behind somebody. And then when he catches that backdoor pass, what he can do off of that action, right? Let's say, let's say help comes over from the opposite side and meets him at the basket. Well, he's either going to be able to wrap the ball around one side or he's going to be able to dump it off before that help even gets there. His passing creativity is going to help him keep the ball moving in that way. And I get that Asar can do some of those same things, but a man is just so, he has so much cleaner of a delivery on those passes than Asar. And I just trust the vision more from him to keep the ball moving. So I think a man is a much more complete player out of the two. It's a question of what is his comfort level doing more than just what we know he can do with the ball in his hands. And that's what I want to see from the coaching staff this year. I'm confident we're going to see more of what you talked about. They were running in the four before before. I think we're going to see those things. I just want, I just want to see them because I think NBA teams are going to want to see them. Unless I don't know, maybe somebody does draft him and they think he's going to be the type of player you talked about, Steven, maybe somebody thinks he can be like a LaMelo ball. Like he, he can have the ball in the string and he can command uh, an incredibly high usage. I, I don't see that fully because for, for all the crap we want to give LaMelo ball about his shot. I think he has a better floater game than a man. I think he, he is able to hit those ridiculous circus threes at a more respectable level than a man. He, he's he was- a better He's a better tough shot maker from outside of the paint than, than a man is. He, he changed his shot. Like it was a similar situation to Dyson too, where like he changed his shot mid season in the NBL. And then like from that point forward hit a decent percentage, if I'm yeah. recalling. Too, and and so. a man also does not have nearly the same handle that that LaMelo has. LaMelo has one of the best handles in, in basketball. But he's also and- like, 900 times better at defense than Lamelo. That that is that is true. Yeah, that is incredible. And there's true. a couple teams in the NBA I think would give him the keys. You know, depending on where they draft, like the Spurs. Uh, like, unfortunately, if they don't get you know Scoot and, and and Vic, like if if the odds fall where they do and they draft him in, I think that he'll get the keys. Like, there's a realistic chance that Utah, if they end up drafting him, that he would get the keys to to run an offense depending on what they do with Sexton, right? Like there are a few teams that still would probably love to have a lead ball handler. And I think that a man could offer that to, to a team and given the right, given the right ecosystem, I think that he could thrive in it. I think the, the point is on these two is that the talent is for, for me, at least it's too much to pass on outside of the lottery. Like, even though I'm not as high on a star, I still have him 13 on my preseason board. I can't envision a scenario where both of these guys aren't lottery prospects just because of the overall talent they possess. Mm-hmm. And I'll be curious to follow their development moving forward. So I know a lot of this podcast was just spent on the Thompson twins and another good portion will be spent on scoot. We will go quick hits through some of these other players that we're going to talk about. Uh, Jay-Z and Gortman, the six foot two, 172 pound guard. I got to see him up close and personal. Steven, I'm curious about your thoughts from the pro day. Cause I, I didn't see the best game from him. He was four of 10 from the floor. He wasn't really shooting the ball. Well, he committed some pretty bad turnovers when he was at his best. He probably has the best handle of, of any player in the overtime elite program. He looks pretty impressive at times when he's able to kind of bring lull somebody in and then step back on them and then get around them to go to the basket. He can get up off two feet. He can dunk the ball home. I like him at his best. I just haven't seen him enough at his best to where, I'm falling in love with Cortman and I'm like, this, this guy's standing out to me as like a top 60 
player 100% of the time. So I'm curious, what, what impression did you get at the pro day? Yeah, I, I knew the name, right? Because he is a very high profile international prospect. I knew the name. I was familiar with him, but I didn't have him necessarily on my radar as a draftable guy. I think that he has potential to be a mid to late second rounder. Like, especially when we get into how, you know, some prospects and their agents are like, no, we want to be, you know, undrafted and we want to pick where we want to go. I think that that could open up for a guy like Gortman. Love the nickname. They call him Category 6. It just kind of fits. Um, <laughs> he's like a jitterbug out there on the court, man. Like, he, he's all intensity all the time, both ends of the floor. I think he's got real shooting upside. Uh, he's very much so like a, a, a live wire passer, too. Uh, you, you touched on the handle. It's just learning how to shift gears. And I think that a player like him, it's you always hear it, right? Like it's easier to, to have a guy kind of come down than it is to ramp up. I think that if you could teach him how to play with pace, he could be a very successful pro guard. I'm not saying that he's going to be a starter or anything like that, but there's a realistic chance that a team does take him in the second round. Like I just saw like on a, um, basketball news on their on their board they have a second round grade on him and I was like okay and that kind of fit with what I saw but Nathan your evaluation of them kind of fit with what Corey told me is like I'm watching the scripted stuff and the scripted stuff looks phenomenal like he I'm like why is no one really talking about him but Corey kind of shared a lot of the same takes that you did in his gameplay which you know playing games is a big part of playing basketball so if he's not doing good there then then there's probably reason for why he is kind of low I like what you said, though, Stephen. I think the, the the playing with better pace, the changing of the gears, Maxwell, I think that's that's important with what I saw with his game because mm-hmm. when, when he's able to improvise on an island, I think he's comfortable doing it. The, the shots that he takes, incredibly comfortable. When he gets downhill with only one man to beat, incredibly comfortable. When it's to the point where he has to improvise in traffic, right, like he gets to a spot because he's able to, but the rest of the play breaks down. He has to make something happen in the paint it's not not always the prettiest because he he can he can cough up the ball because he, he he went the wrong direction he can make the wrong read and turn it over he needs to get better at changing those gears and maybe bringing the ball out back out a little more often to where he can reset and just go okay let's try this again because sometimes he goes a little too fast but probably because in in his in his own right he is an incredibly talented guard and he just might think he can get away with things a little more often. But the fact that he does have some of that trouble playing against the high school competition, it doesn't give me a lot of confidence it's going to be different in the NBA. Yeah. And like I mentioned earlier, like optimism out of the top. Gortman's step up, and we're going to get to somebody else in a second who I think like world's better than they were last year. Um, but I think with Gortman, like his pace was better than it was a year ago. Like last mm-hmm. year, it was just a lot of like, I'm, I'm going to the basket now and just kind of <laughs> charging into traffic and not really being able to do it. Uh, and he was real thin too. He's looking a little bit bigger, which is good. Cause he's very, very skinny and he's an inconsistent shooter. Right. So like those two things and like, he's a heat pace, check guy. Yeah, yeah. 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 Like that's, he that's was really got to get pro control. day. Like, <laughs> yeah, like this thing is like, I think there is a world where he shoots and his arms are really long. Like he measured, yes. I think six, seven or six, eight wingspan too. So yes. like real Plus chance that once stupid. that size comes along, like he's going to be able to guard both, both guard spots. Um, and then like, yeah. So if the shot gets there and he's in the size gets there, which I think size, like I've said a million times, I think it gets there with everybody. There is a world for him, like as like a backup combo guard who plays next to a bigger initiator. 
Uh, his defense is really great. He's super engaged on that side of the ball. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm really encouraged with what I've seen from him from like last year to this year with overtime elite love the footwork. I love that. He's like experimenting with some of his shots too. Like he's taking tough shots off the bounce. He's willing to do it. That's the charisma is great. Like he's just yeah. a really fun player to watch. And mm-hmm. that that's what makes me want to, to bet on him and buy into him is because I think that just, just the flair and the charisma that he plays with, it's, it's incredibly infectious. And I think that also rubs off on everybody else on his team. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of where we're at on, on Gortman. I don't think there's too much more to get into with his game. The, the last two guys, I was just going to ask a question of, who do you prefer between Jalen Martin and Bryce Griggs? Maxwell, I, I feel like you have an answer to this question. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it. What, what What's your answer? Who you got? I'm like in on Bryce Griggs. Let's I don't go. know how Let's in go. you can be on Bryce Griggs, but like, man, he is so much better than he was last year. Like, I, so... I, to to spoil my column a little bit like i touched on a lot of ot guys in my quick hit six section uh section but like i did not like bryce griggs at all last year like <laughs> bryce griggs to me was like when you first heard about overtime elite if you took like the most skeptical voice possible and like their idea of an overtime elite player it would be bryce griggs like he was the guy who just really over dribbled and like there was stuff that was cool, but it wasn't really functional toward playing winning basketball and like night and day, night and day difference from what we saw with him. But the biggest comeback in OTE history and one of those games and you were in the yeah, building for that one. Right? I, I was, so that was the 23 points, five rebounds, five assists and five steals. That's, so, that's the probably one of the best prospect games you can play and have yeah. like, like Dwight Howard was over on the, on the bench mm-hmm. and he was going absolutely nuts. Cause he, he was, he was not only finding guys at the right time, but he was taking over the game when he had to and making some impressive shots. When this he had is, to. yeah, this is a kid a year ago that just would dribble the air out of the ball and wasn't, he wasn't in good shape. And now like, he's just reeking of intangibles. Like everything is off the charts. He's a leader. He's the guy you can go to war with. He got himself into way better shape. It's clear that the motor and work ethic is here and that he saw the problems in his game and he's willing to listen and get better. I, I adore the transition in his game from year one of OTE to year two that we've seen with Bryce Griggs. He's getting downhill more. It's not just dribbling in place to dribble in place. It's dribbling with a purpose. His lob passes are well-placed. His crossover is like sneaky quick and can really cover, get him uh, into the paint a lot of times. Uh, he'll hustle on the glass. He's showing more patience when he needs to. He's taking easier passes when they're there. Um, I thought his strength held up really well at the point of attack, which can be a real tricky thing when you're a guy that needs to lose weight is maintaining that strength. Uh, but he did really well with that. And I just thought he looked like a leader out there. I, I, I thought that just the overall professionalism and his game was tremendous, especially when you look at where he was a year ago. Like that's the kind of stuff that makes me want to buy stock in somebody as a person, but as a basketball player too, he was outstanding. So I'm, I'm really into Bryce Griggs right now. Steven, who you got between the two? I'm a big Griggs guy as well. Um, Maxwell touched on a lot of the stuff, you know, interviewing him was a, was a real treat because he's so respectful. You know, he's a very humble player, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that he just underwent, like, a major transformation to to his body. And, you know, he was asked about that. Pro, pro scouts were like, look, man, if you want to at least have a shot, you got to take your body seriously. Yep. And he rogered up to that. You know, he talked about how much he ran and what he – like, he cared about what he started eating. So, like, he really – Maxwell, you said it great when I was talking to 
to um, our, our contact over at Overtime, he said that he became a professional this summer. Yeah. And yeah. he said that was really encouraging to see. And I, I spoke to him too about just like you, you, you touched on the intangibles. I was like, so, you know, Griggs, I, I watched everything that you did and I just loved how you just kind of knew where guys were going to be, you know, what's your relationship like with, you know, your wings and your bigs and stuff like that. And he said, I spent a lot of time just understanding where their sweet spots are and doing everything that I can to set them up into that. And if they're not into there, how do I, how do I orient, like, how do I position myself on the court to make sure that they're able to receive the ball where they like it the most. And, you know, I like his shooting prospects a lot as well. His defense was really there. And he kind of seems shy when you're talking to him, but on the court, my man's a dog. So I, I really enjoyed watching Griggs a lot. All right. So I will be no surprise. I'm a Griggs guy as well. I, I, I was in the building for that game that Maxwell talked about that I read the stat line for. He did everything and more that I would have wanted to see from him as somebody who he's not on my top 60 board right now. He's, he's probably not on a lot of people's top 60 boards, but he is a guy who, I got a highlight on, on a spreadsheet of, of prospects that I'm looking at my database, but like, okay, I, I got to monitor Bryce Griggs moving forward. Let's, let's see where he's at right now, but also let's see where he finishes at, at the end of this year and closer to the pre-draft process. Okay. That's enough for overtime elite. Let's move on to the G league ignite, the other top program within the United States. We're going to be monitoring outside of college basketball. Everybody watched the Scoot Henderson versus Victor Wemanyama show. Maxwell and I were on the playback for the first game. We were watching it live with our audience. That was incredibly fun. And we, we gave a ton of opinions about the G League Ignite guys, but really about Scoot Henderson as well. Steven was not with us for that playback. So to, to remind everybody, he played in the first game of the two. He played like, what, a few minutes in the second game, and then he got yeah, hurt, he went, went out with an injury. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't really count it, but the game that he really played, 28 points, nine assists, five rebounds, two steals, 11 for 21 from the field, two of three from three-point range, four or six from the free throw line. A complete fucking masterpiece from Scoot Henderson. There, There is no other way to put it. Steven, I know you watched the game. We need your thoughts on draft deeper and, and no ceilings as a whole tell the audience what what are your opinions on scoot henderson so i think i'm on an island at no ceilings where i have scoot as my number one prospect and, wow oh over and, the alien and listen i it's really hard to not be infatuated with what victor Wembanyama could be but if i could just try to present a case right um Victor Wimbanyama could be the best player of something that we've never seen before. I mentioned this with, with Nick on the last home and away scoot could be the best version of something that we have seen. And there's a long illustrious list of names of players at his position that we look at with some sort of reverence for their contributions to the game. Scoot has a, has a big opportunity to be among that Mount Rushmore of just like lead point guards like has a realistic outlook and outcome to be the best version of that. We saw how Victor has elevated himself as an individual. Scoot elevated himself as an individual while making other players on the court look like legit NBA talent. Without him on the floor, 
they look like they couldn't do much of anything with him. Okay? We watched these two get matched up. Scoot was not afraid to go at Victor Wimbanyama at all. Like That reverse finish on Victor was just something to, to behold. Like, that not was only, awesome. Not only was he not afraid, he actively sought it out. He said, sure, you, you are... You're an alien, you know, like that's the that's the terminology because Unicorn just like has lost its luster. He's an alien now. Scoot said, I, I'm not afraid of you. You know, like not only did he seek it out, he played with physicality. He also played with finesse. He played with pace. Like he did everything humanly possible to be the best player on the floor. And to me, he was. And again, it's not saying that I don't understand and, and a lot of people will say, like, well, Scoot's not, he's not a consolation prize, but there's over a foot of difference between the two. Like, I get that. But in their matchup, like, that foot of difference really didn't mean much to Scoot Henderson. So if he can go up against, like, the best version of something we've never seen, I feel comfortable that he can go up against things that we have seen and still be one of the best versions of that level of talent. Like, I, it's really hard for me to to have this position, but I genuinely feel like Scoot is, is the best player in this draft class. And that's no disrespect at all to Victor Wimbenyama. He's a phenomenal player. Like I just, I just like Scoot more. Maxwell. Now, now I'm curious to get your thoughts. Cause I, I think you and I are going to be aligned on the same page to where we would have Victor number one. And we will, we will talk about Victor next week. We absolutely will do our deep dive on him, but you and I had a lot of the same reactions over the playback when we were watching Scoot, like mm-hmm. what, what are we watching? Like a, a guard, yeah. this professional, this poised at his age. We we saw it last year when he came into the Ignite program. It was it was probably closer to midway through the season, but then he played really that second half of the year. And he had some standout performances as a 17-year-old against grown men. And now you see what he's probably going to take his game to over the course of a full G League season, by the way, for the Ignite. We're going to get a full body of work for Mr. Henderson. This isn't just him coming in for some quote unquote exhibition games. Cause it was after the, the Vegas run and they, they weren't eligible to compete in the playoffs. We, we will get a full season from scoot and hopefully he can lead that ignite team to the playoffs and we can see what happens once they get there. Cause man, he has that dog that takeover ability and that, that maybe is one of the key differences between him and Victor to where Steven might be more comfortable having him at the top of his board. Scoot's going to control the game because he's going to always have the ball in his hands. But at the same time, I feel really good about what happens when he does have the ball in his hands controlling the game as much as he's going to. We just talked about Amen Thompson could have grow into a high usage role in the NBA to where he's the primary lead ball handler. I don't feel nearly as comfortable with him in that situation as I do with Scoot in his situation like that just how he can quarterback an offense is incredibly special and go, feel free to touch on the defense too because the defense yeah. is is as phenomenal yes i've cooled on scoot a little bit he's like 14 for me right now i'm just kidding uh <laughs> no, scoot's awesome scoot's awesome he's don't he's, give our listeners a heart attack yeah he's, he's a definitive or the, ho- or the co-host either, uh, you know? and i don't like and i don't hate the argument for him at one because like i there's gonna be multiple winners to the lottery this year if everybody stays healthy um yeah, like you touched on a lot of the offensive stuff. And when I talked about a men earlier, I mentioned something I wanted to touch on with Scoot, which is like a men is like very herky jerky. And I just don't know that I've seen somebody who decelerates and like has a human pause button 
in them like scoot does like the way that this guy can go from this blistering electric first step to just boop slam on the brakes and like the defenders just fly by he had that little like stop and like backwards pop uh play in that ignite uh scrimmage against metropolitans it was unreal uh in his just understanding and maturity of knowing what his leverage is going to create for his teammates he's just wise beyond his years man like he's really really smart in terms of knowing um what types of advantages what openings he's going to create uh what angles he needs to take to get to the rim how careful he is protecting the ball with how he goes up which hand he chooses to finish with how he chooses to either lay the ball straight in dunk it kiss it off the glass at a certain angle just really really mature i thought the pull-up looked a lot better this time around uh, but the defense, yeah, the defense is really impressive to me. Uh, for somebody as, as quote-unquote small as he is, I think his rotations are really great defensively in terms of how he uses his speed and his strides to cover grounds. Love him at the point of attack. Outstanding hands, moves really well laterally, super quick on his feet, changes direction really well, just like he does on defense. Uh, but just the quickness of his hands too. Like if you leave anything on the table for him, he's putting his hand in the cookie jar and he's getting it every single time. So, and again, that's just one of those things like you just don't normally see from players his age. It's like that level of offensive output and then still maintaining that defensive level of intensity. Like he's, he's really special. And like by all accounts, like his work ethic is off the charts and, I don't know. It's hard to just not be totally bought in on Scoot Henderson. What's what's kind of like the comp that you have for Scoot? Because I I can tell you right now, I know a lot of people have used like the the John Wall, the the Derrick Rose, the the incredibly hyper athletic guards, yeah. the Russell. Yeah, Ja gets thrown out too. This guy to me is Chris Paul two point oh. Thank like, you. That's 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 where this guy's headed. Like the way he that he quarterbacks that offense the understanding of angles, how to use his body, the body control, the, the, the passing angles, it's everything about his game on top of what he does at the point of attack defensively and how big time of a competitor he is on that end, just like Chris Paul has been his entire career. That's, that's who he reminds me of. Maxwell, maybe you have slight disagreement, but like that, no, like that's, that's where I think this guy's headed. Yeah, it just took me like a second to wrap my head around it because I feel like everyone just compares him to like who's the most explosive, right? Because yeah. like that's the thing that pops off when you watch the film. But like he's so cerebral that I, like you just I've never heard that comp before. And the, the I, missing I really ingredient like it because the defensing is so spot on. It's it's the mid range pull up jumper that's going to be yeah. like the big separator between the two. But I I buy it though with him. Like, I, I thought it looks there. Really it's a already. real weapon. Yeah. I, I think that will be like fully fleshed out by the end of this season. And the three pointer is not far behind. So Steven, Nathan, you, yeah, you said, you said, thank you. So, so go, go ahead. I wanted to share my thoughts on this in particular. And this is like the no ceiling synergy just coming full circle because in my head, I'm like, I got to make this point. Like, let me find an opening. And Nathan, you, you set me up. I was, I, I'm so tired of the hyper athletic guard comp because I feel like it cheapens his intelligence, you know, and not saying that those hyper athletes like aren't intelligent, but like, there's a whole nother level of him just being so cerebral and I'm watching his highlights and you touched on the Chris Paul pull up mid range elbow shot. Like that's really there. 
I'm, I see some Steve Nash in him too, where he's just like skirting the baseline and doing that whip around pass, like keeping the ball alive, keeping his dribble active. To me too, like, I know this player doesn't get as much shine now, but once upon a time, there was a debate whether like who's better him and Chris Paul, like this guy might be like the reincarnated version of Duran Williams, you know, out of Utah, like if he cared about his physique long-term and like with the longevity aspect of his game, like, wow, we're Toronto- just bringing up one of the great guard debates that we probably ever had in yeah. the history of the game. Who, who is it? Right? Just- like the I was just and like Stephen was, being like, imagine if Darren Williams didn't love snacks and like that being <laughs> the top for Scoot. <laughs> like, but I mean, so like funny. there, there's a lot there because Darren Williams, you know, like at his best was a table setter, very physical guard yeah. would like dunk over the top of people and was really nasty defender as well. Right. But once he got out of Utah, like we just saw, like, he was just like, my workout is going to be playing NBA basketball, like nothing mm-hmm. else. Like, I feel like Scoot could be like the best version of like that level of guard where like the the intellect and the and the athleticism intersects like so beautifully. And it's yeah, it's not to say that like John Wall and, and Derek Rose and like it's not to say they <laughs> weren't good pastors because they were. I'd consider I'd actually consider John Wall a, a great pastor. No, I I, yeah. I freaking love John Wall's passing. But yeah they don't play the game the same way that Scoot does that, that Chris Paul, that a Steve Nash, like they, they just play the game much differently. And that's why I think that comparison is more apt for somebody like Scoot, just because Scoot's fast, just because he can get up to the rim off too. That doesn't mean that like, Oh snap, we have to sell him as this hyper athletic guard and put him in a mold that I don't, I don't think he actually fits into by the way he plays the game. He's, he's so much more cerebral than that just by his approach and i also those guys didn't have the same change of gears that scoot has like i love that maxwell said it's just he's hitting the pause button yeah. like they they didn't have that i think they were they were more explosive than scoot and they could make is. good reads at like really high speeds too but yeah if there was no yes. like and stopping that's why Derek rose would have been an all-time great guard had he remained healthy if john wall had remained healthy this entire time that's if why Darren williams didn't love snacks <laughs> exactly <laughs> if Darren yeah. williams didn't love snacks but like the, those guys in particular yeah the the things that they could do at incredibly high speeds and and where they were at floating in midair able to pass out of a shot like that stuff you, you don't always see that from guardia but that's that's not how scoot plays i, I think if if we were going to compare him to one of those types of guards, the John Morant one would probably be the most accurate yeah. because Ja, the Very way cerebral. that he manipulates defenses with his start stop, some of the the eye movement stuff that he's incorporated into his game as he's been in the NBA. But I trust Scoot more. I think I trust him more as a scorer, which is crazy to say because John Morant's dropping thirty plus a night now in the NBA. And we're like, where where the hell did this come from? Like we knew that he was. He was comfortable getting like 20 plus points and like 10 to 12 assists. Now he's kind of going in a little bit of the opposite direction where this guy's going to just try to go for 40 a night. And oh, by the way, as I'm doing the 40, I'm going to find a way to also stack those 9, 10, 11 assists on you. But Scoot, I don't know. I, I just think his his will to score is incredibly strong. But he knows that he doesn't always have to make a shot to get his team moving in, in the right direction. I don't know. It's it's just different be, between those two. Like Scoot, there's very little on the court that I don't have confidence that he can do. The three-point shot is like the real area for me that I, I think it's going to keep improving. I think it's going to get there for him. That would be the drawback. 
but he can get inside the arc whenever he wants. And once he gets there, once he gets to his spots, there is very little that this man can't do from the point guard spot. And that's why, that's why the Chris Paul name came to me because when, whenever Chris Paul got to his spots, when he still gets to his spots, he can, he can just do quite literally whatever he wants and it doesn't matter. And I just, I feel the same way. I think Scoot's going to control the game in the same way. And that's why, He's such a special prospect to where I have him number two on my board, but shit, pick almost any other year and he'd be number (laughs) one, right? Like that's, that's how I feel. And Steven, kudos to you, my friend, for having the cojones to put him above Victor Webanyama. It's a lonely island, but you know, it's a, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Well, listen, I knew, I knew scouts who had John Moran over Zion Williamson once upon a time. And there, I I would still take Zion number one, regardless. I just, I just don't care. He's one of my favorite prospects of all time. I think he's that dominant, that great, but you look at what John's an MVP candidate already, you know, look at what John's done, how healthy he's been compared to Zion. I'm not saying he's been a pristine picture of health, but compared to the two, it looks like he's going to be available much more often than Zion has been and how he's elevated his game in his own right. Like I can't look at you if you would want to take Ja over Zion and think that you're crazy or you're stupid. I, I, I can't do that. And who knows, maybe we revisit this conversation and it's the exact same way between Scoot and Victor. We, we don't know how it's going to pan out. I'm just going off of what we know right now. And what we know right now is the two of them are both fucking ridiculous at basketball <laughs> And everyone who has a high pick in this draft with a chance to go top two in the lottery, keep praying. Keep those prayers going. Be ready for when lottery night comes. May the odds be ever in your favor. And whoever – I know the way it's going to work too, just real quick, is like whoever gets the second pick, and if it ends up being Scoot, they're going to say, oh, you know, we actually wanted Scoot over victor and they're, scoot, and they're gonna scoot has such a massive chip on his shoulder already though yep. he is fully prepared for when that happens and i i can't wait to see that because you know the two of them are going to play each other in summer league that first night and i yep. can't wait for that game when it happens that's going to be it's going to be it's going to be awesome I, I love scoot so much man all right so we've taken up the majority of this podcast talking about essentially three players but that's what we came here to do because those are the mm. main lottery guys we've thrown some other names out there the G League Ignite team has four other prospects that we're really looking at for the 2023 draft. F.A. Abugadi, Leonard Miller, C.D. Sissoko, and Mojave King. Let's just, let's just go around the room. Let's, let's pick one name that we want to talk about and why we're infatuated with them as a prospect. Steven, I'll start with you. Out, out of those four names, who Ooh. interests you the most? You're calling a live stream audible here on me, man. I uh, wasn't prepared for this. There's so many different ways I want to go, but... um. I think out of the out of the room here, I'm highest on uh, City Sissoko. I have him 19th on my big board right now. Okay, um, curious, like real quick before I break him down, where do you guys have him? I I have him lo- lower than that, my friend. I believe okay. I have Sissoko. Where do I have CD Sissoko? I would have to look for him on my board, but I do not have him inside my top. I have him at 43. So I have okay. him pretty low on the board. Yeah, he's comparison. like outside of my top 60 at the moment. Whoa. Wow. Not like, I, I think so. I, like not like way outside of it, but yeah, he's he's on the edge for me right now. Yeah. So I Steven, the, why, why do you like him so much then? I liked a lot of his uh, international stuff. And, you know, what we saw from the Ignite last year when they got this like massive 
collection of talent. And what we've really seen from them every year is it takes them a while to establish a pecking order and like who goes where, like whose turn is it? And we know that it's going to be Scoot this year, but out of the rest of the guys, it's kind of like, let's figure out who's that next guy. Is it F.A. Boogity, kind of that natural pick and roll partner for a, a Scoot Henderson? But what I like about CD and what I liked about his um, film from his international play is I noticed like how well he plays the passing lanes as like a help defender. So I think that with his size and his frame, being able to play in a defensive scheme professionally, I think helps him a lot. He's a really good athlete too. I like his ability to get up and down the floor. I like his leaping ability as well, how strong he is positionally. I think that he can play kind of the two through four in the NBA, depending on the the matchup that he's in. I like him as like an ancillary playmaker, obviously not as like your primary creator, but from what I saw overseas, you know, he, he was able to function well running some offense. And I just think that his shooting touch isn't necessarily where it needs to be now, but I think that the touch around the basket uh, some of the film that I did see from his overseas play did did suggest to me that he could grow there. And we know that with this type of player, that when the shot comes around, that opens up their game in a whole new level. Like you're looking at him as a legitimate connective piece. Uh, but as is the case with most young playmakers, he can kind of force the issue a little bit. And I do worry about him as an isolation defender depending on if he's on like a very quick twitchy athlete. Now, if he's helping off of like a spot up shooter or more of a lumbering forward, I think that his strength and athleticism allows him to hold up well there. So again, it's just setting. I just felt really good about his instincts as a connective tissue type player, uh, someone who can move the ball well, who you trust to make a couple reads and projecting a little bit that that shot coming around on a higher volume. And again, like as the season progresses, I think that we will see him be able to do that. But yeah, the first game without Scoot, a lot of people didn't really look that well. And asking him to be more of a primary creator, I think is a little too much right now. I just, I was a big fan of uh, his international film. Well, he got in foul trouble the second game, which was what really held him back to being, in my opinion, a more productive player who got a better flow within the game. But that, that first game, he had some really interesting standout defensive possessions. Yeah. Um, and, and then some moments in transition that I really like, despite only shooting two of nine from the field, I still found more positives than negatives in that first game. So like you said, Scoot was there. He made everybody better. Mm-hmm. That showed up for, for more names past CD. Maxwell, I'm curious, where, where are you going to go with who intrigues you the most out of those four guys? Yeah, so I'm going to go with Leonard Miller. Uh, okay so thankfully somebody has to do it thank thank god yeah so i have some real concerns about leonard miller um as do i namely the way that he he shot puts the ball at the basket um it is very ugly it does not look any better than it did the last time we saw it um there was like a weird thing that happened with him last year right where like he was this under under the radar guy he was draft eligible and like he became the shiny new toy and people on twitter were like he should be a lottery pick and then he played at the combine and it was a disaster and then they were like well no he like pre-draft him or whatever and then like that didn't happen and i think pre-draft i think what's interesting because i like i don't hate the idea of like pre-drafting with certain guys but i fear that what might happen is like He's go- He's with the Ignite, which I think is the exact right decision for him. This is where he should be. When you look Agreed. at a guy, I agree. 
like Dyson Daniels, who came in, and it's like, well, like there's some really interesting feel and passing and ball handling for a guy with this size and whatever. And like, you look at the jump he took from the start of the year to the end of the year. I think this is a great developmental predicament for him. And I think that if he does improve, people are going to be like, well, yeah, like he should have gone in last year and been pre-drafted. And it's like, I don't know that that's the case. Like, I think what he needed is like a lot of individual attention. And I think we overestimate how easy it is to get that on an NBA team. When you look at a guy like Johnny Davis, he's like barely getting minutes. Ochai Baji has not played at all. Like how many guys, you know, just get sent to the G League for their first year at this point. Like you do not always get like people really overestimate how much teams are willing to devote a roster spot to a guy who's a total project. Like that just doesn't happen. So I really commend Leonard Miller for making this decision. And I think where I've already seen the biggest improvement with him is on defense. Like I thought the the defensive film of him in high school was atrocious, even Mm -hmm. though he was like so much bigger than everybody and so much more athletic. And it's just like, you can't be getting back cut. Like you can't be letting guys get by you and there's so much less athletic than you. And I think in the games we've seen so far, he's held up really well defensively. He's gotten a lot stronger. Like when guys try to go at him in the post, they don't always get where they want. Uh, his instincts and his rotations are really good. Like I'm, I'm really pleased with what we've seen already. The shot, it, like it needs a ton of work, it needs a ton of work, but how many times are we going to bet against like this big high field guys that can dribble and pass a little bit. And like, they always end up, at least being on like a rosterable player. Usman last year. Yeah. Well, like even the, like even guys like Trenton Watford and Delano Banton. Yeah. And like those guys like were not productive prior to coming to the league. But like if you are big and you have feel, like the precedent is really good. Uh, and I think just spending a year in this program when we've seen what what this coaching staff can do with guys over that one year period, like this is going to be great for him. I'm I'm really excited to see him. Uh, and I think he's the biggest case for like, don't look at what he is, but look at what point A to point B becomes. Like that's going to be the interesting thing to monitor with him. It's not going to be his stats. It's not going to be the percentages. It's going to be where does he start and where does he finish? I will be happy to move him up my board at some point if his play warrants it. And I agree with you, Maxwell. It's not going to come from the box score stats. It's going to be, what do we see on the film from a developmental perspective? Is he willing to embrace a different type of role than what he had when he was, you know, playing in Canada, he was the man, right? When he, he did everything on the court. He had the ball in his hands all the time. I don't think he's going to be that player in the NBA. I think if he could embrace more of a, a hybrid role, I think it could benefit him greatly. And if he grows into that and he embraces more of the defensive aspects that you outlined, I think he could see a really interesting six foot 11 creator who can just do things on the basketball court that not a lot of people can do at his size. And that's why at some point it warrants making a bet on a player like that. Now I have him at 45 on my board. So yeah, I, he's I 44 have, for me. Yeah. Like, I have him at 40. So I, 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 have, I have him two spots behind CD, and I think Steven has him considerably behind CD, but I think that's more so he is a project in every sense of the word, but if the project turns out like Maxwell just talked about, that point B could be incredibly enticing for somebody, and I think that's, that's more of what some of the people on draft Twitter are trying to sell. Like, man, we know he's got some issues he has to iron out, but if the right team irons out those issues – he could be something potentially special down the line. So we will we will see what happens. I agree with you completely. The Ignite is where he needs to be. 
we will see how they can develop him and get him to, to keep buying in to maybe a different role moving forward. So that leaves two names. F.A. Boogity does really intrigue me. Six foot 10, 225 pound big man runs the floor incredibly well in transition. He gets back on defense. He challenges guys around the basket. He can block shots. He's a tough rebounder, good finisher inside. He was five for five in, in the, the first game for Ignite uh, against the Metropolitans 92 and finished the night as, in my opinion, the third best prospect on the floor playing in that game. The second game was rougher. He got himself in foul trouble. He wasn't as comfortable offensively, didn't shoot the ball well from the field. Those are the ups and downs that we can expect from a prospect in any given game. But I think the, the raw athletic tools that he possesses, I want to see what he could become in the Ignite system. If he is just a pure role man, if he's a pure play finisher, if he's engaged on defense, if we see a little bit more than just deep, deep drop coverage from him, can he be a guy who can move his feet well enough on the perimeter to maybe switch out a little bit? Can he cover more ground? These are things I want to see from him that could make him an interesting prospect down the road. But Mojave King, guys, listen, mm. I'm not talking him up to where I think he's a draftable prospect right now. I wouldn't rank him inside a top 60, but what I will say is eventually Maxwell is going to write his column like he did last year to where we look at the top undrafted guys, right? And we're looking at viable options for teams to bring into camp who can stick and actually get themselves and earn a roster spot on the team. Mojave King really stands out to me as one of those guys who I, I just have a feeling Maxwell is going to write about him at some point in, in that form fashion, because when we talk about off ball scores and off ball shooters, microwave guys who position themselves incredibly well away from the ball to get themselves perfectly open shots. He is one of the best examples of that in his draft class. Now his game's a little bit limited beyond that. I'm not buying everything he's doing on the defensive side, although I do like that he at least competes. He's not a guy who's going to make a lot happen with the ball in his hands off the dribble. That's just not in his game. And I, I don't even know if I love when he attacks closeouts all the time. But if you're just looking for somebody who can come in, you know, 12, 14, 16 minutes a night off the bench, who if you have a good system built around movement, built around player and ball movement, like, oh, I don't know, the Golden State Warriors, for example, who always find these damn good shooters – Mojave King could do some things in a system like that. And he can come out and one night you're looking at the box score. Who's Mojave King and why did he have 20 points <laughs> on an NBA floor? Like I, I can just see that happen for him. So again, I'm not shouting his name to the rafters. Like he's somebody who I'm planting the flag. He needs to be drafted, but he's an interesting name who I, I just don't see a lot of buzz about him period. And when I watched him in those two games, particularly the second game where he was six for seven from the floor, he was shooting the ball really well from three. I liked a lot of the shots he created, had a dunk that made me get out of my seat and was like, <laughs> where did this come from? A little bit of sneaky athleticism for my six, five guy. I like him as somebody to just monitor moving forward that that's how I'll, I'll end the podcast on that. But I, he, I, I really like him. So We've talked about a good number of names tonight, guys. We went through the Overtime Elite program, the G League Ignite. I can't thank you guys enough for joining me for this podcast. We always have fun when we do this, but yeah. now that we're really branching out into some of these bigger names like the Thompson Twins, like Scoot, like Victor, this is where the beat and potatoes of the draft is really going to take place. And I will, we'll talk about the domestic college guys week in, week out, as we do with our written columns for No Ceilings. But 
these opportunities we have to, to wander out a little bit into the other ethos of the draft. I know Maxwell loves it. I know Steven loves it. And it's, it's good growth opportunity for our audience as well to be exposed to as many names as possible on the draft front. So thank you everybody out there for listening to this episode of the draft deeper podcast on the no ceilings NBA feed. If you aren't subscribed, please subscribe to the no ceilings NBA feed. We're getting daily podcasts. The podcast is the the podcast is exploding up the charts. I love Mm -hmm. seeing it. We're going to keep pumping out the content Monday through Friday. You will find us on this feed every single Monday. You can follow me on Twitter at draft deeper. You can follow Steven on Twitter at Steven G hoops, and you can find Maxwell on Twitter um, at bound boards. If I'm correct. Right. If I'm remembering your Twitter handle, you're good. So find all of us individually, follow the collective on Twitter at no ceilings, NBA, subscribe to the Substack, stack, no ceilings, NBA.com. And one last, all social media channels, TikTok, Instagram. We're putting out YouTube content all the time. YouTube shorts. We are everywhere this year. And one more reminder for everybody out there. It's not the season yet. You can still get in on our preseason guide. We released a preseason draft guide, write-ups on our some of our top 30 prospects. We mentioned a whole bunch of other prospects in there. We went around the world. We talked about some of the G League night guys, some of the overtime elite guys. Make sure you check out that guide. Only $5, but we've already had some thrilling endorsements about Mm -hmm. if you buy that guide you're getting ahead of the curve on what you're going to expect from this upcoming draft class and the cool the cool merch i haven't had a chance to to order some of the new merch yet but no doubt in my mind i'm going to grab some new gear i know steven and max are going to grab some new gear check out our store no ceilings nba.bigcartel.com please you won't regret checking out the guide or the merch but that being said Thank you all for listening to this episode of the podcast. Until we meet again, I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Stay tuned.